I look to two areas of tactics uh, when, I, when I coach folks. Uh, the first is to help people get unstuck, to help people lean into their limiting beliefs, to recognize that, you know, their biggest roadblock most times lives between their two ears, it's their brains. You know, Henry Ford said, whether you think you can't or think you can, you're right. And so I enjoy helping people step up to these limiting beliefs and to create a path to get beyond the beliefs and to um, become ultimately successful. And the other area that I tap into when it comes to coaching techniques is using neuroscience to help people get beyond their limiting beliefs. This week on the podcast, we have Deborah Goldstein. Um, I had a blast with talking to her about um, the brain science behind managing people and being a good leader and continuing to engage and help our employees be better people. Um, We'll jump right into the podcast. Well, um, welcome to the podcast, Deborah. We are so excited to have you here. Um, would you like to tell us a little bit about what you do, who you are, how you got into coaching? Sure. I have founded a company called Driven Professionals, and we do consulting and coaching. We focus on women. We focus on creating cultures of trust. Mm-hmm. And we focus on intentional productivity. In other words, in an environment of overwhelm, perpetual information coming at us, distractions all around, we help people focus on managing the stress, making sure that people are focusing on the tasks that it takes to get them ahead. Mm-hmm. And to answer your second question about how I got into this space, I actually come from a restaurant background. Mm. And when I think about my time at the restaurant, besides nourishing people with food, I also love to train my staff. I love to help them pick up on the nuance of what makes service exceptional, how to give our guests positively outrageous service and experiences. And I took that to corporate America to train people about how to have greater executive presence, how to be more effective in conversation. And then I put together a piece about coaching. And coaching is a pull. Instead of me telling and pushing information to people, coaching actually helps people understand that they've got the brilliance inside of them. And when they recognize their brilliance, it's stickier and it's actually transformational. Yeah. So do you, I guess then that being said, do you, do you teach people how to do that then? Because if you're teaching them how to coach their people and be great executives, is that something that you help them learn is pulling that information out of their employees in order to be more successful? That's definitely one of the areas that we love to work. In other words, empowering specifically newly promoted managers, Mm. how to help their direct reports be ultimately successful. So that is one of the areas that we love to work in. Yeah, that's very cool. So I guess then what is your like coaching style? Do you have different techniques or tactics that have been really successful for you? And what does that look like? I look to two areas of tactics uh, when I I coach folks. Uh, The first is 
to help people get unstuck, to help people lean into their limiting beliefs, to recognize that, you know, their biggest roadblock most times lives between their two ears. It's their brains. You know, Henry Ford said, whether you think you can't or think you can, you're right. And so I enjoy helping people step up to these limiting beliefs and to create a path to get beyond the beliefs and to um, become ultimately successful. And the other area that I tap into when it comes to coaching techniques is using neuroscience to help people get beyond their limiting beliefs. Mm. So how do you use that neuroscience and what does that look like? Do you go through different like briefs, I guess, or um, do you help them understand their brain or what? I help them understand their brain in a very tricky way. I have them experience how it feels to be in a conversation that is building trust and how it feels when people are in conversation that depletes trust. So I have them experience what it is like to, in, in neuroscience terms, experience cortisol, which is the stress hormone, which besides adding to belly fat actually fogs our brain and also how it feels to have a conversation that inspires oxytocin, which is that neurotransmitter that is the connection transmitter. It's sometimes called the cuddle hormone, but actually oxytocin is the key to what we do. You and I are knowledge workers. We are paid for our brains. And when oxytocin is produced, it allows our brain to fully engage. It allows us to be in productive and creative and in trusting relationships. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, that's super cool. So I guess, how do you pull that out of people then? How do you get them to be that fully engaged, have that oxytocin, if I'm saying it correctly? That is. Yeah, how, how does that work, I guess, I, to dive deeper into that? The first step is to have them experience what it's like to be in a conversation that is not trusting and then have the conversation where they're feeling heard, included, trusted. And then I guide them to utilize words and have a mindset to be open to these oxytocin types of experiences. And I'll give you an example. Yeah, that'd be awesome. We live um, in, in a judgmental society. Everybody is full of judgment. We're always judging, judging, judging. And that is a perfect example of a state of mind that produces cortisol. So if I gave you a situation where I explained a scene and told you, okay, you're being judgmental. What types of thoughts are you having? You would come up with very different thoughts if I explained the exact same theme and scene and challenged you to think about being appreciative of what is going on in the example. Does that make sense? Yeah, that, that's a very good way of putting it. So in the workplace, we need to be appreciative then um, of what we're doing um, does, is that correct? It is. However, I 
I understand that in the workplace, it's really hard to be appreciative when we're under deadline, when somebody's in our face, when we're feeling less than or defensive, or somebody's pointing their finger at us and finding fault with us. So the key is curiosity. If you can remain curious instead of judgmental, it's the magic switch because you cannot be curious and judgmental at the same time. It is impossible. And curiosity re-engages that prefrontal cortex. So when you find yourself next feeling judgmental, start to ask yourself questions, whether it be, hmm, I wonder why I'm feeling like this, or I wonder why he's getting so angry at me, or I wonder why she is not able to articulate properly because she's so angry. If you start to become curious, your prefrontal cortex will remain engaged. And the piece that I did not mention when I first mentioned cortisol is that it actually fogs our brain. So we can't think clearly. So I wonder if you've ever been in a situation where after the situation, you say, oh, I would have said this, I should have said that, I could have said this. Yeah, yes, oh, absolutely. I think everyone's been in a situation like that. Now, if you trace yourself back to that situation, I bet you you were triggered by some kind of emotion like defensiveness or frustration or impatience or judgment and the cortisol has been alerted, released, and it's fogged your brain. So if you can start to remain curious, curiosity is a great word, then your brain clears up and you're able to articulate more clearly in the moment. That's incredible. So it's, it's simply just changing your mindset, essentially. Um, and the way that you question, I guess, in your head, it's not, I failed at this. Why did I struggle to succeed in this situation? Exactly. Exactly. And since you mentioned failed, you know, I'm a big proponent of the growth mindset. Mm -hmm. And when I help people with their limiting beliefs and bringing them beyond their limiting beliefs, the growth mindset is integral in the process because whenever we stretch outside of our comfort zones, we are setting ourselves up for failure, you know, and that's really the definition of confidence is to be able to stretch out of your comfort zone. And the growth mindset says, I am not a failure. I have failed. How can I do better the next time? And it's so, it's such a great concept because not only does it work because we're always growing and we're always learning, which means that we are more empowered to stretch out of our comfort zone, but it allows our brain once again to engage with the prefrontal cortex. How can I do better next time? Actually, if you watch a TED talk by Carol Dweck about the growth mindset, you'll see that different parts of your brain light up when you say, I failed, darn it. Or I failed, what am I gonna do better next time? Yeah, that's cool. I really like the quote, fail fast, fail forward, because it's, empowering you to understand that in order to fail, like you have to fail in order to get where you want to be. Um, And oftentimes people are so afraid of failure, but at the same time, I would never be where I am without failing a few things. Um, Whether it's large things or small things, you you might get really bummed due to this small thing, but it's really helping you grow in the process. But making sure that you understand that you are growing in that process is key in order to that. Um, Get the best most impactful um impactful thoughts outside of your failing 
That's right. And it really is a lesson in how to build our confidence. And I'd love to offer my working definition of confidence because that really is how we get beyond limiting beliefs, how we reach for the next step. And I describe confidence as a belief in the ability to succeed. And because of that belief, we're stimulated into action. So confidence is a two-part definition in my brain. It's a belief that stimulates you into action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where does, so then where does behaviors fall into that? I, I've heard the whole concept of beliefs, behaviors, and then actions. Um, how does that look like in that trifecta almost? Well, the behaviors come because of that building of confidence, because you have the belief that you can do something. Mm -hmm. So the behavior follows that belief. Okay, I need to do X, Y, and Z to get to my goal. I know I can figure out the behaviors I need to do it. It's that stimulation, that ability to reach out of the comfort zone, which will allow me to go from the belief to the action. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I really like your definition too. That's very insightful of you um, to have that belief with the action involved. um, Because without belief, our actions are... I guess blurry and fogged up and we don't we don't really know what those um what those should be yeah so I'd love to share with you how I help my clients make that definition into a cyclical um process so the belief and the action is actually celebration Mm. so when you do something and you, you have a belief, I want to do X. And then you are able to stimulate yourself into action. If you can remember a time where you've been successful in the past, you are better able to stimulate that action. So what I help my clients do, and it's counterintuitive at first, but I help them recognize their successes and celebrate them. and. I'm not suggesting popping champagne every time you're on time for a meeting, mm-hmm. but to give yourself an girl or a way to go or a well done when you're on time for a meeting, when you're fully focused during a, the course of a phone call, how often do our minds wander during a phone call? So if you can start to recognize in all instances when you've done something well, because certainly if you were late for a meeting, you'd beat yourself up, you'd kick yourself a little bit. If you can say, well done, way to go, at a girl, that celebration, that perpetual celebration will build your confidence because back to the neuroscience, it's a little hit of oxytocin that you get. Rock on, I was on time for that meeting, even though the subway was late. And you have that little hit of oxytocin and that propels you to build your confidence. That's awesome. Yeah. So are, I guess, do you, do you have them celebrate the little things and the big things or um, the work things or the life things or all of it um, for that matter? I suggest all of it. As a matter of fact, when people first start to coach with me, often we discover during the very first session that confidence, especially with women, confidence is a big challenge. Mm -hmm. So my first assignment to them is to start a celebration journal. 
And the secret between you and me is it's a confidence building journal. What I, what I challenge them to do is every day, first thing in the morning, to write three things in a journal that you have done well the day before. Now, you asked if it was personal or professional. It depends on what your goal is. But I start off by suggesting write three things that you've done well the day before. Perhaps if somebody's come to me because they have professional lack of confidence, it's three things that you've done to contribute to your job description. And then after a couple of weeks, I have them go back and show them by them putting words to what they've written into their journal, how much more they've got going on than they give themselves credit for. Yeah, that's so true. We often don't give ourselves enough credit at all for half of the stuff we do, if not less than that. Yes, and it's devastating to think that when Sally does something in the cubicle next to me, she is a rock star. And when I do the exact same thing that Sally does, in my mind, she's a rock star, but I'm like, nah, not a big deal. And it's, it's devastating to think about how much potential we are tamping down because we're not recognizing that. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird balance between being very humble and being um, very cocky, I guess. I, that's how I would almost understand it to be. Yes, and we as women specifically have a, this double-edged sword because we are considered aggressive when men may be considered assertive. And the other fact that I'd like to bring to the table is I work with a lot of, uh, of diverse people. So people that are ethnically not the same, um, religiously not the same, and they have a very difficult time because of cultural differences. An Asian person or a Hispanic woman, those are the two biggies. Asian women and Hispanic women are taught that women are to be seen but not heard. They're taught about great respect. They have a really hard time muscling up to how great they are. Yeah, yeah, wow. That's very eye-opening. I think all women have that, but especially um, so how do you get them to muster up that confidence and say, hey, I actually am really great. I, I've got a good thing going for me. Well, I start with the confidence journal, the celebration journal. Yeah. And then I coach them to articulate to their managers about the work they've been doing. Not in a boastful way, but we position it so once a week, if I were coaching you, I would suggest that you reach out to your manager for a 15 minute check-in each week. So you could tell your manager everything that you've covered in the week, which really serves your manager well, because we assume that everybody else knows what we're doing. So they don't know exactly what you're doing. So you're helping your manager with better communication and you position yourself to start talking about your successes first. Mm. And then you ask for your manager's guidance and advice where you have met challenges. Mm. It's a weekly checkup of what you essentially then, what you did well, um, what you're gonna work on this week and how the manager can help you be successful. Yeah. Yes, and that's a, a, a very non-confrontational way for you to practice building, saying out loud how great you are to build your confidence. Yeah, and then also asking for help when you do need those 
those times of not necessarily rescue, but those times of uh, you're struggling and you're growing and you're learning and you're failing, but you're also failing forward and failing fast so that you can continue to grow. That's right. And one of the beautiful things about asking a manager for their help is they, for the most part, they have the intelligence to do the job. Most often managers don't know how to communicate well. They don't know when to reach out to help you and steer you. So by asking the manager, you're inviting them in to stay with you on your, on your, learning, your learning path. Mm. And it tends to create better relationships between managers and their direct reports. Yeah. Do you think that sometimes managers don't want to be doing that though? Yes, sometimes that is very true. However, if I want to best succeed in my job, I need to have my manager's support, their guidance, and most importantly, I need my manager to know what I'm doing because they're ultimately the person who's going to put me up for promotion. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've read um, recently, and it's the manager, that 70% of managers don't actually know what their people are doing, which is in on like uncomprehendable that that baffles me but it's so true and um so yeah how do you i guess promote that um that constant conversation then and getting these managers to say we need to invest in our people and the employee being able to say i need you to invest in me right now well i i like the weekly check-in that i've mentioned before and i feel it's so powerful because it's a pull, not a push. In other words, the employee is going to the manager and offering their successes and what they need help in. So the manager is not micromanaging, consistently asking, where are you here? Have you done this yet? The employee is checking in. And also just a realization that I like to say that we all are movie stars. We all star in our own movie called Life. And a manager has their stuff, their responsibilities for work, all of the work that's piling up, their family issues. And the more stress the manager is under, the less the manager can see their direct employees, the less they recognize that their employees have needs as well. As a matter of fact, I equated to a marquee. So you are the movie star of your own life and you share that marquee in front of the movie theater with your spouse, with your children, with your closest colleagues. And under stress, the names of those colleagues, the names of your spouse, the name of your kids start to fall off of that marquee until these people who are key to your life almost seem like they're extras, they're walk-ons onto the stage. And that's what cortisol does to our brain. It totally fogs it. So all we can do is see our path and we forget to be empathetic to others around us. Yeah, so cortisol is just kind of a bugger. <laughs> it's never beneficial, I guess, is kind of what I'm gathering. Well, it is beneficial because Back in our ancestors' day, hundreds of thousands of years ago, cortisol and adrenaline is what kept our ancestors safe from the saber-toothed tigers. Mm -hmm. It was necessary for their survival. However, 
in 20, the 21st century, we don't have too many saber-toothed tigers walking around. And our challenge is to manage our cortisol in psychologically unsafe environments because that's what we're in. We're in we're the workplace, we feel unsafe. So it's a psychological feeling of, of not being safe. And since you mentioned that cortisol seems to be a bugger, I have some bad news for you is that cortisol stays in our body for over 24 hours. Whereas mm -hmm. oxytocin, that feel good hormone that I mentioned, yeah. has a shelf life of about four hours. So another reason for constant celebration is we need those constant hits of oxytocin. Yeah, that's crazy. That, wow, it's, I almost think of it as the, having like nine really good comments to the good feedback to one not so great and not necessarily saying that that's appropriate but in your mind that should always be the case oh well i have these nine awesome things that i have done and this maybe this one is stinks but i'm gonna make it a positive um goal in the future you've just ex exhibited beautifully the growth mindset. Mm -hmm. And human nature is to hang on to that one and say, oh, I can't believe they didn't like this. And like, that's, that's our negativity bias. You know, mm -hmm. we all, because of our ancestors and how their, their brain was formed, we all have that negativity bias. So if we can create some perspective, I like to say zoom out, create mm -hmm. some perspective and ask really, as you said, how can I make this better? And also, is it really something that I need to hang on to? Because we do, we like to hang on to the one negative out of the nine, after the nine positives. You, you nailed that. Yeah, our brains are very biased to be negative too. And that, that's very hard um, because you're right, we are in a judgmental world. We are constantly hit with these you're not as cool as you thought you were, or you're not doing as well as you thought you were. Um, but being able to turn that around and saying, well, okay, how can I do better then? That the curiosity mindset, that's huge. I love that term. That's awesome. Yes. And the other thing that I want to bring up is since you mentioned bias, mm -hmm. when somebody is not happy with what you're doing, it could be their bias too. Perhaps mm -hmm. they're not seeing the full picture. So to ask what is real versus what is true is a real, a powerful question because often I interpret your work in a very different way than you interpret your work. And it's unfair of me to judge your work as opposed to being curious about your work. And if you can recognize that I have a bias, I'm seeing you in a specific way through my lens, then you can ask questions or elaborate so I better understand the lens from which you see the world. Yeah, and, and being able to go to them also and say, is this clear? How, how can I help you be better? Um, and then also going almost into their shoes and looking through their lens. Um, and so that way they understand it from their level. You're going to them versus them coming to you and them being confused and overwhelmed and, and not understanding fully. That's right, exactly. So you have just explained beautifully how to manage bias is because, you know, people think that bias is a bad word. It's a four letter word. Well, 
if you have a brain, you have bias. We all have bias. It's how we see the world. And it's based on where we were brought up and our religion and our ethnicity and even our birth order. All of that contributes to bias. If we're female or male, how old we are, all of that affects how we individually see the world. And if I can step into your shoes and ask you questions so I can see the world through your eyes, stand under your reality. I like to use that as the definition of understanding mm. is I want to stand under your reality and see what's going on through your eyes. And then communication can be less threatening and more co-creative versus confrontational or positional. Yeah, you're building relationship through that too. And relationship is key to understanding how the person actually functions and thinks and works, um, which is very, very important if you're going to be um, helping them out and helping them grow. Yes, and relationships are built on conversations. So back to where we started, when it comes to feeling what it's like to have a conversation that inspires trust, and inspires distrust when you feel that and you recognize that conversations compose relationships. Mm. It goes back to choosing words to make you feel included, appreciated, appreciated or excluded, and that is judgment. Mm. Wow, that's so full circle. That's so cool. I love that. Oh. Well, do you have anything else to add? I can't think of a single thing. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Deborah. That was really insightful. And I feel like I just learned a ton. And I hope our listeners um, learn a ton too. I love the cortisol. And um, what's the other one called again? Oxytocin. Oxytocin. See, it runs out of your mind quick. <laughs> that's true. Awesome. Um, so where can our listeners find you if they want to get in touch with you? Our website is drivenpros.com. Okay. And you can reach me at deb at drivenpros.com. We will put those in the show notes so that um, it'll be quick and easy to find you. Thank you. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on Managing the Way. We really appreciate it. Thank you. This podcast is proudly produced by Waypoint. What is Waypoint? Well, if you want to coach your team and not manage them, then Waypoint is worth checking out. Head over to waypointhq.com to learn more or email me directly, mike at waypointhq.com, and I'll demo it for you myself. Thanks for listening.